calling on humans. This is a distress call. If there was another way, some easier way, I would take it. But there is no alternative. What really exists, according to quantum mechanics, is immensely richer than the things we can actually observe. It is the essence of a collective crisis. So we, we can't just respond through individual shopping decisions. We have to respond through bold collective action. I think that when we talk about race, we tend to focus on individual acts of prejudice. Unfortunately, the issue of race, if we understand it, is a lot more insidious. And it takes a lot more of a historical view to understand the difference between individual bias and structural racism and privilege. We should understand we have not inherited this earth from our ancestors. We have borrowed it from our children and grandchildren. So it is our dharma, it is our duty to protect and conserve the planet Earth. And I love all people, rich or poor, but in those particular positions, I just don't want a poor person. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? There's a good chance that most of your users are already on Facebook, and for the ones who aren't, they probably will be soon. <laughs> our society is run by insane people for insane objectives. Uh, yeah, five, four, three, two, one, fish. Welcome to Calling All Humans. So, Calling All Humans is a series of podcasts looking at how we can collectively transform the world. And each episode we reflect on a new topic by speaking with people who are attempting to introduce new ways of thinking and new ways of acting in the world. Uh, so, my name's Greg and I'm here with Danny and we are part of the Co-Resist Collective. Danny, do you want to say a bit about them? Them? Yeah, us. <laughs> them dudes. Them dudes. We produce all sorts of different events and podcasts and talks and all sorts of different courses geared around social change where arts, activism and education congregate and have a little party together. And this week we're joined with someone, aren't we, Danny? We are. Welcome to Lara Luna Bartley. Hello. So Lara is a long-term collaborator with Co-Resist. She's done a couple of exhibitions, including the Department of Uncommissioned... Urban Interventions. Thank you very much. And uh, her latest or her last uh, collaboration with us was the Monetary Festival, which was marking 10 years since the financial crisis. And that's why she's here today, because we're going to talk a little bit about that and a subsequent talk that went alongside it. But as a kind of induction, I think it's only uh, right that we keep up with our tradition that's been going back all the way back to that first podcast the one just before this one, when we played uh, If You Only Knew Me. And I think maybe we can do that with Lara now. If you really knew me, you would know that I come from the hills of North Wales. If you really knew me, you would know that I 
currently don't have a pair of shoes that fit me well. If you really knew me, you would know that I absolutely am terrified by the state of the world. If you really knew me, you would know that I love biscuits. I've just been fed a very stale muffin by Greg with some coffee before this podcast, and it was actually quite biscuit-esque. Well done. Uh, I think we said biscotti. We did. Actually. It's, it's biscotti. the poor man's biscotti, a, a, a stale muffin. Yeah, mass-produced. So biscuits, you've really set the, <laughs> set the bar high with that one. Uh, if you really knew me, you'd know that um, I've recently gone reverted back from being a black coffee-only person to having it with milk, which has massively increased my dairy intake, which has been quite a seismic change. Uh, we just had oat milk? Well, we had oat milk, but I brought that so I wouldn't be judged. <laughs> if you knew me, you'd know I'm really shallow about people judging me about my dairy intake. Very good, Greg. Okay, Lara. Oh my God, there's, the, it, there's all the ones that I can't say. Um, what, if you really knew me, you'd know that... You know that I'm impatient um, and, yeah, quite fast-paced. Oh, well, yeah, just to throw back, uh, if you really knew me, you'd know I'm definitely patient, slow it down, always willing to wait. That's fine. Like Danny's suggesting this morning, should we just postpone recording? I was like, yeah, fine. <laughs> Absolutely fine. <laughs> then he texts me half an hour later saying, no, let's do it, after I'd already got back into bed. And I was like, oh, I mean, I guess we should do it. It's the basis of a perfect working uh, relationship. I've really been sold on the idea of not doing it. And I was, I was so proud that I wasn't the guy I'd sent the text suggesting to postpone. All right, moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> Being free to choose for me means being free to make your own decisions. Free to live your own life, pursue your own goals, chase your own rainbow. Without the government breathing down on your neck or standing on your shoes. For me that meant coming here to America. Because I came from a socialistic country that the government controls the economy. It's a place where you can hear 18 year old kids already talking about their pension. But me, I wanted more. I wanted to be the best. Individualism like that is incompatible with socialism. So I felt I had to come to America. And I watched America change. And I noticed this. The more the government interfered and intervened and inserted itself into the free market, the worse the country did. That society that puts equality before freedom winds up with neither. But that society puts freedom before equality will end up with a great measure of both. Boy, I would have come up with that one myself. And maybe wouldn't have had to get into bodybuilding. <laughs> um, so what we're thinking about this week is good old money. Moolah, cash, bones, clams, cashews, the good stuff, green, notes, paper, coins. It's all about money. Dollar dollar bills. Dollar dollar bills, y'all. Now, we all use money, but what is money? That's what we want to think about just now. And for the purpose of this podcast, I've actually uh, sourced some paper money and brought it in. That, that ain't paper, let me tell you, Greg. Oh, it's it. Uh, 
animal gelatine, ten pound oh, note or dear. something. Well, yeah. Apparently it doesn't rip as much. So, this week we'll be exploring the idea that money is a social relation, in that money is not metal or paper. Instead, money is trust inscribed, i.e. money is the promise, not the object. So to illustrate this point, as I say, I've brought in a £10 note. That's my £10 note. Well, okay. I got Danny to give me a £10 note because I didn't have any on me. And if you have one at home, maybe you'd like to uh, play along. Uh, even if you're out on the street listening to this, maybe just go into your pocket, get out a £10 note, £20 note, £5 note. Uh, if you've got a 50, stop listening, turn off. Um, but yeah, so go on to the front of that note and look, it says, what does that say, Danny? can't even read it. It says, Lara, can you read that? Um, I promised to pay the bearer on demand the sum of £10. So hang about. So you've got a £10 note and you go to the bank with that. And actually all it says is that the £10 note means that somebody will pay you £10. But what is that £10 if the £10 note is only an IOU effectively? This is another thing everybody knows, but no one really wants to talk about money is debt. Banknotes are just a bunch of circulating IOUs. So that's all this is. It's a promise. It's not, it's not got intrinsic value in itself. So that means actually when we're giving each other money, what we're doing is actually entering into a social relationship. When I give this note to Danny, I'm not giving him £10. I'm entering into this relationship another relationship that we have. It's a commitment, Greg. It's a commitment. Now, why is this significant? Well, it's significant because the people who generate money are therefore actually dictating what kind of social relationships we have in the world. Yeah, the people that create money or decide how much money is going to be created and who will be the recipients of that money are basically dictating what is going to be happening, what money facilitates. So the people that create money and give loans out to oil companies that are engaged in massive fossil fuel extraction are facilitating that entire industry. That's something that supersedes almost policy decisions or the values that we hold as communities and individuals. They are determining those decisions. This week is long-term co-resist collaborator Lara Luna Bartley, who is an artist and PhD researcher in Bristol. Now, last year Lara held an event with co-resist to mark the 10-year anniversary of the financial crisis. The event comprised of an interactive art exhibition as well as a talk with Tony Greenham. So Lara, how did this event first come about? What made you want to mark the 10-year anniversary of the financial crisis? I got interested in money a couple of years ago. 
Um, I had studied economics years ago, but it's only through people like David Graeber and Anne Pettifor that I got back interested. And 2017 marked 10 years since the Northern Rock crisis, 2018, 10 years since the global financial crisis, the collapse of Lehman Brothers. And I decided to spend that those 12 months focused on making artwork about the monetary system and about the banking system. Um, that whole year culminated with the monetary exhibition, which I brought together a series of artists who produced um, different types of work, some of it interactive. Um, and yeah, I did an exhibition at Hamilton House and invited Tony Greenham to come and speak as part of that. He's um really great economist who's he worked in the city and walked away um and got very involved with transition towns and is now in the process of setting up uh 13 regional banks around the uk which you know unlike the four huge banks that that we have to mostly deal with currently will have an interest in keeping money local and in stimulating economies locally unlike in lots of other Western countries such as Germany and the US, like we don't have um, regional banks, we don't have state banks, we have four huge banks and then nationwide and a couple of credit unions. We have very we have a completely homogenous um, banking system. So yeah, I got in touch with him and I asked him to come and speak at, as part of the monetary um, exhibition and it was great. He was a really interesting man. Cool. Um, we're going to play some clips from that talk, which took place between Lara, Danny and Tony at Hamilton House. And during the talk, we expanded on the idea that money is a social relationship, which trust is central to. We considered what new technologies might offer to our economic world, such as cryptocurrencies, whether these will positively enhance the regulation of money, how it is made and circulated, or whether we should be wary of the risks attached to these new technologies. Here it is, have a listen. But there isn't a magic money tree that we can shake that suddenly provides for everything that people want. And they're going about, where's this magic money tree? (laughs) It's in the Cayman Islands, the Bahamas, the British Virgin Islands, Panama, Parafuckin'ma! That's where the magic money tree is estimated 20 trillion is held in bloody offshore accounts. So where do you think, in your sort of like um, opinion, sort of mon- the kind of concept of money is in, in most people's minds? Like how, how far away from, from understanding money is the general public? Ah, well, I mean, that, that, this is right at the core of it. So um, uh, my view is, um, and I did a TEDx talk on this, if, you, if you've got enough time to waste that you want to watch it, uh, called Money as a Social Relationship. So the essence of money is it is a relationship uh, between people that was reflected in one of the artworks, or more than one of the artworks downstairs. And that's really interesting to unpack. Well, what does that mean in practice? Uh, But unfortunately, the really strong image, uh, both in um, some, not all, strands of economics, but also in culture and literature, in films, 
is that money is gold, that money is treasure, money is a, a, a valuable object or a commodity. Um, and that, unfortunately, it's true that gold has been used as money, but that masks the fact that the true essence of money is not about objects or commodities, it's about relationships. So I'd say that people, in their popular understanding, are a million miles away from what money is. And that is partly due to, to, due to the cultural references. So, um, and again, I think that's why uh, artists and uh, broadly speaking, you know, not just digital conceptual poets, whatever, we need uh, writers, we need, we need uh, new cultural narratives about what money is in order to, you know, people aren't, not everybody's gonna be able to read Kate Rogers books or whatever, or my books or David Boyle or whatever, but uh, more people maybe can be touched by some new stories. Downstairs, um in the bar earlier on, we were talking about uh, cryptocurrencies. I made a slight critique of um, some of the cryptocurrencies out there um, and didn't really consider them proper currencies, more investment bubbles, um, or they certainly weren't being used or utilized fully as currencies anyway. And I was wondering whether or not we would see an alternative to, as a mainstream currency to pound sterling. Um, now I know in Bristol, obviously we've got the Bristol pound, which is obviously uh, not is it considered a voucher? Is that right? Yeah, not actually considered a currency in its kind of truest form of the word, but it's absolutely linked and exchangeable fully with um, sterling. But maybe that there is a space in the future for currencies that aren't actually linked to uh, pound sterlings. Certainly, Bitcoin and other um, cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology has sort of pushed that sort of frontier and people's imaginal capacity to kind of thinking about what currency is and how they use money and you know what it could potentially do for them. What's your what's your take on cryptocurrencies and the oh, potential? This is so I was I've been reflecting on 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 your comments earlier on and I think what is fusing my brain a bit on this um, let me try and explain so if money is all is money is a social relationship and really it's all about the exchange of goods and services between people then what's interesting is um, completely pre-digital pre era there was always a spectrum of ways of organizing exchange depending on the degree of trust and proximity you had with the people you're exchanging with so within the closest circle you can have a gift economy right so I'll just if you need something well you can have it and I know that if I need something you'll give it to me right so there are intentional communities still operate like this now that's what families operate like. I don't charge my son for cooking dinner, although I'm tempted. <laughs> um, so you've got your gift economy. Um, then outside of that, it traditionally was a sort of a ledger type system. So, you know, you kind of, it's all on credit. It's mutual credit. Going right back to Mesopotamia, where it's all recorded on clay tablets and this sort of thing, because there was a sort of, there was an organizing uh, authority that could sort of keep the bookkeeping straight, if you like, that was trusted. So first of all, there needs to be something you can trust in, again. Then beyond that, you can kind of have, you know, then the, there's sort of um, your fiat currencies that are enforced through coercion, really the state, so it's backed up by the ability to, the, the needs to pay taxes, and if you don't pay taxes, you go to prison, and so, you know. And then if it was beyond more long distance than that, uh, then that's where gold comes in, right? That's where sort of, okay, I'm meeting you somewhere on the spice trail and we're gonna do a trade, right? I might never see you again. So if, if, I, if, you know, if I'm gonna give you this spice, I want something, I'm on a commodity of trust, so I get some gold. No trust in that relationship, done and dusted, don't have to see each other again. 
So we've got this spectrum of the form of exchange currency or medium of exchange that is appropriate to the degree of relationship that you have. And there's nothing wrong with any of those means of exchange, right? They're all appropriate for the context. But you had all this spectrum. Over time, it's all got sort of amalgamated into, into one form, which is the fiat currency one. Um, and uh, other than, I should mention at this point, obviously time banks, local exchange trading schemes, as well as local currencies like the Bristol Pound. So there have been many ways of trying to sort of disrupt that and provide the alternatives. So, so, but that's all, if you like, pre-digital era. So, so what I'm struggling to make sense of, and this is where we have to probably uh, uh, rely on the artists to make sense of it, is in the, in the era of Facebook and different ways of relating socially, what would be the new appropriate medium of exchange that would, that would fit that? social relation environment and I just don't know mm. I mean I you know that's comes back to my, my point earlier on about my ambivalence towards cryptocurrencies is that if Facebook Google Amazon any of the Silicon Valley corporations start taking over the currency world this is this is just black mirror and the world is more dystopian than it even already is right if, however, far away which is where you yeah, arguably right if, if 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 a new digital means of exchange is that is is being you know run on an open source platforms and is more Firefox and Wikipedia and, and from that tradition, then brilliant, bring it on. This is this is that's that's where I would be excited about the innovation and the digital innovation. So it kind of comes back again to ownership, control, and governance. And is it commons or is it just driven by private um, you know profit and extraction? Yeah. Um, and but it's an interesting time. It'll likely be both. You'll likely have, like you were explaining in one of your talks that I was listening to, that often both things come at the same time. So one of the essential things that Tony's talking about is that trust is really essential in this sort of medium of exchange and the different types of um, exchange mechanism or kind of like money um, has different different levels of trust built into that. And one of the kind of projects that has come up recently, um, for us at least, is Lara's ID coin. And could you say a little bit more about that, Lara? Um, yeah, so... ID Coin was a collaboration with a friend of mine called Bernie, who's um, yeah mostly focused on artificial intelligence. ID Coin was a submission to the Future of Money Award, and I yeah I wanted to create or speculatively create anyway a cryptocurrency that was based on trust, because currently money is created when 
we take out debt from a bank. Mostly that's when people take out mortgages. 97% of money is created through bank debt. So I want to create money. And if I want to create money, that means that I'm going to create debt or that we're going to create debt amongst each other. So ID coin is like a cryptocurrency, but they're IOUs that get um, knocked about within social groups and communities. Cool. And uh, the idea, though, is that you would get a rating based on uh, your sort of your character, almost sort of almost like your moral character, but based on social media or your behaviour and your behaviour. And it's uh, certainly got a bit of it would make. Yeah, certainly got a bit of the dystopian sci-fi about it in quite a fun way. Yeah, it, it started off as a utopian idea and it very quickly got very dystopian. Um, Danny, if you had an ID coin, what kind of rating do you think you'd have? I reckon I'd be pretty high. I think pretty I, high? I think I've learned from my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> my actual credit rating might be quite low, but in, in terms of the social world, I'll be flying up there in the nines. Um, so, Laura, uh, I know you've uh, previously mentioned that in the past you had studied economics and you were frustrated because you found it was like a watered-down version of maths, I believe you said. So I'm quite interested uh, how you see um, approaching economics and the economic landscape from an artistic perspective and what advantages you might have in that capacity compared with just trying to do maybe more orthodox economic works like as what Tony's just sort of outlined yeah um yeah it's funny with economics um because yeah they're they're like wannabe mathematicians and actually it's more I think it's more closely more closely related to psychology or something like this I I think as an artist the, the kind of thinking that you do is very expansive and you're in this constant world of like possibilities. So in terms of the fact that we're in a moment of crisis, um, you definitely need people coming at problems such as um, what are we going to do about the, the banking system and the monetary system that we have with a very expansive approach. And I think... Um I think it really does give you that space to play and imagine. And why that's important is, as Tony was saying in the talk, this idea that there's this spectrum of trust. In the old days, when you met somebody on the spice trail, he'd say, oh, you're never going to meet them again. That's why you give them a nugget of gold. But nowadays with the internet, that spice trail is connected. You know, people, if they choose to, you can get them on the internet. So now we have to really work out, well, can, can you have new systems of money happening with this? And I think actually... Uh, some of the ideas you put into the ID coin are really relevant. And I know, Danny, you're interested in this, of this idea of what, what can cryptocurrency offer in our new kind of cultural landscape when we're, you know, connected all around the world and everyone's just a click away. I mean, certainly I was really sceptical and quite critical of cryptocurrencies when I could see people around me you know, investing in Bitcoin and other currencies because they saw the potential of making um, fast money. And, you know, obviously that's only actual... Kind of that fast money. Fast money. It's only actually money to them if they then obviously withdraw it. 
um, up, up until that point, it's potential, isn't it? But the the sort of drive to kind of like invest and to um, make these quick gains was something that it seems to be replicating, you know, a, a lot of the problems that we kind of like have in our society anyway. And these are people that, you know, quite often have removed themselves from, you know, a, a, or seem to have tried to remove themselves from a lot of the kind of destructive systems that are going on, or they're quite critical of mainstream systems. And so there's a real kind of like uh, sort of challenge and disconnect there, you know, like, well, why are these people kind of engaging in these new platforms and investing money which could be used for good into something which is just making a quick buck? So cryptocurrencies, rather than being these kind of speculative bubbles, they could be something that actually helps support, you know, funding really um, positive projects, things that are going to help regenerate and rejuvenate the landscape or communities rather than you know something which is you know in the digital sphere and traded and you know either kind of crashed or soaring and 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 for me that 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 really kind of is the new territory i think money and cryptocurrencies need to be put towards the things that this world and our and our society needs right now to sort of rebuild and replenish and repair rather than to continue this kind of cycle of destruction that we seem to be trapped in. Yeah. There's um, some brilliant artists in Berlin and they're doing a currency, cryptocurrency, called Circles UBI. And it's actually very similar to ID coin uh, without the dystopian elements. It's like oh. a community-owned, trust-based um, cryptocurrency. So... Yeah, if people are interested in this, it's something worth looking into. Yeah, because I think it was highlighted in the talk, this idea that when new mechanisms are introduced, there'll probably be a good version and a bad version emerge simultaneously. And I suppose that's certainly something that comes across in uh, Tony's talk and your work, Lara, is this idea it's not always just about the mechanism, but kind of the attitude and... Uh, mental capacity put into these kind of social relationships that we get into for me it feels like it's about application you know essentially it comes down to our values you know even money as we kind of more commonly use it whether or not that's kind of with our cards or you know in cash it can be put to good use or it can be put to kind of negative use as well we always make decisions you know every day of our lives we make a decision on what we do and quite often um, those things can be, you know, detrimental to us. Like we might buy that extra chocolate bar that we don't need. We might kind of like buy too much plastic. We might take a, a, a flight to Barcelona. But ultimately we can put that money into something which is kind of like more positive And those choices are still going to be present, you know, in these kind of future scenarios and on these new and arising platforms. Um. So whilst I don't want to take away from individual choices that we make on what we spend our money, I think it's really important not to conflate the creation of money with the circulation of money. And I think we currently, as a society, focus too much on individual choice. And what we need to be doing is focusing on the collective choices we make. And we are currently collectively choosing to let the vast, vast, vast amount of money in this country be created by four huge institutions 
simply through the creation of mortgages, which is leading to, you know, house prices that are sky high, as we know, and lots of other problems. So yeah, the circulation of money is important. What we spend our money on is important, but we need to focus less on this and more on the creation. Yeah, I guess part of that is also that we choose to spend our money on mortgages as well. So that's also part of the circulation thing that you're talking about. But I wondered... But it's not because the mortgage, the money is created when you make a mortgage. Yeah. It doesn't exist. It's not circulating. And I guess what I was trying to say was there's still a, a kind of a human choice as to whether or not you decide to take out a mortgage or whether you decide to continue renting or, or you know, what... The way that we kind of have um, structured that particular market is a, you know, it's very different to what's going on in the rest of Europe as well. Get into a marital argument now. <laughs> if you really knew me. <laughs> but my, anyway, what I was going to say, we might need to cut that bit out. Yeah. But, um, cut in. <laughs> oh, believe me, that's the only way we ever do it. Listen. <laughs> And then that happens. What is that? That's America's housing market. What if he's right? You want him to be right. Yes, I do. The banks have given us 25% interest rates on credit cards. They have screwed us on student loans that we can never get out from under. Then this guy walks into my office and says, those same banks got greedy, they lost track of the market, and I can profit off of their stupidity? Fuck, yeah, I want them to be right. One thing I'd quite like to maybe just, uh, maybe shift the focus, just because um, with some of our previous podcasts, for instance, uh, last episode we focused on ecocide law. Now, ecocide laws quite a straightforward concept and quite a straightforward solution. Basically, ecocide should be made an international law. It's something you can get behind and if it happened, you'd see some immediate changes. Now, I think what's interesting when we're talking about changing a culture and understanding around the economy is that there isn't really this one trick or mechanism that's going to fix it all. There's maybe one problem, but actually what we're seeing is uh, a lot of different mechanisms. So Tony told us about uh, his mutual banking. In Bristol, we've got um, the Bristol Pound local currency. We've also got Triodos Bank, who now have their branch in Bristol. And actually what you're seeing is lots of small cogs or mechanisms, all trying to sort of reconfigure how we approach and understand economic practice. Now, I suppose there's it's that can be quite inspiring when you see all these different ways of combating an issue but also it can maybe be a bit frustrating it can often just seem overly small and maybe nice but will this ever get to that big change that is actually needed yeah and the big change i would argue is the same level of overhaul of the economy that we had in the 30s in the uk in the us with roosevelt in france you know, some, you can call it the New Deal, the Green New Deal, which is um, a collaboration between the Bank of England and the Treasury so that you can actually properly fund um, 
public, huge public projects at very low interest. Um, the beginning, the reintroduction of capital controls. So you start taxing money that's flying around the world crazily in all of these stupid algorithms. And also the re, um, reg, uh, yeah, the re-regulization of the of the banking sector, which we had, we had, we had a brilliant banking sector for a long time. Which is quite interesting to hear because that's not something that I think is in most people's kind of common understanding or conception. So to have somebody say something positive about the banking system in this day and age is a bit of a rarity, um, even if it is retrospectively. But one of the things that it seems to sort of point towards, and this is kind of what you were saying, Greg, is that there's no one clear answer. There's like maybe many yeses. And one no, many yeses. One no, many yeses. And if, you know, perhaps that's the problem is that individuals, consumers, however you want to kind of like label people, find it difficult to know how to take action. And so that's why often it's easier to focus on the idea of circulation rather than creation of money, because there isn't one clear campaign saying this is how we need to do things or a clear strategy about how to bring that about. Political parties may pledge, you know, particular policies, but there's nothing being articulated currently to that level of structural change that you're really talking about. Yeah, and the closest thing I would say is the Green New Deal that was put together by economists such as M. Pettifor. I don't know if Tony Greenham was involved, but, you know, uh, uh, Caroline Lucas and different people... And yeah, I would say the Green New Deal is the closest thing that we have to a proposal for big structural change. Mm. I'm thinking uh, this has been really good. I reckon we should start wrapping up. Um, Just out of interest, does anybody have any favourite songs that feature references to money or the theme of money? Yeah, Money Talks. Money Talks? Money Talks. Dirty Cash. Come on, we need that one, no? I don't think I know that. There's Money, Money, Money by ABBA. Yeah. Oh, God. What about that one with, with the sort of lyric, Dalla Dalla Bills, y'all? Oh, Cream. Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang. Enter 36 yes. Chambers. Cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. Dalla Dalla Bill, y'all. I grew up on the crime side, the New York Times side. Staying alive was no job. Of course yes. I'm down with that, Danny. Uh, Pink Floyd, Money. Yeah. It's Guess. Uh, that's probably... Various other ones. Cool. Yeah. Doom. Doo 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 doo. Doom. Boom. Doom. Boom. Boom. Money. It's a gas. Grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. seen um you remember the outrage about the new five ten pound notes because they contain animal fats i remember it yeah yeah did you see that quite funny meme that said uh a hipster hipster vegans are horrified to discover 
that the fivers they used to snort child slave farmed cocaine contains animal fats. Yeah, well, we're, we're swimming in a sea of, uh, of irony and hypocrisy, aren't we? Lovely sea, just float there. For a, while. <laughs> a plastic sea. Well, thanks to all the listeners for listening to some of that chit chat from myself and Danny. And thank you to Lara for participating this episode. We definitely look forward to having a few more guests on future ones in studio. Danny, any final thoughts? It feels to me like if banks get to decide when money is created how much money is created and who gets access to that money then as we alluded to earlier banks are essentially in control of that element of our social relationships they are essentially facilitating some things and purposefully stopping other things from prospering and if you look at the big four banks in the UK so HSBC, Barclays RBS and NatWest which is a subsidiary of RBS and Santander, they invest billions of pounds in fossil fuels, in nuclear, in um, weapons, and in big pharma. And so they're sort of furthering whole destructive industries that essentially are driving not just climate change, but war and poverty, isolation, all, all sorts of the things that we want to be challenging right now. So the divestment campaigns that have been going on are hugely significant. I mean, HSBC alone invests £13.2 billion in fossil fuels, Barclays £12.5 billion. And although HSBC recently have announced that they're moving their investments out of Tarsan's projects, they're just going to find other sort of, you know, whether it's fracking or other industries that are in fossil fuel, um, yeah, to, to... to invest in and we need to stop that from happening and so Tony's ideas around local regional banks are are really essential because there we have a way of kind of like really keeping track of our money making sure that our money is being used for things that are not just aligned with our values but are really relevant to our lives because they're targeted locally so it makes perfect sense what he's advocating and what he's trying to bring about and you know like he says you know this is not a new thing you know, this has been going on for years uh, in the form of building societies and, and other institutions, credit unions, etc. But more of us need to make that effort to switch and to put our money where our, our mouth is or at least, you know, align our hearts and our actions a bit more. I think it could be really exciting if there was a, a bit of a movement that... Um, sort of maybe piggybacked off some of the social movements that are happening at the moment, whether it's the Extinction Rebellions or whether or not it's, you know, um, everybody within a particular university, the students taking action collectively together. We're starting to see groups of people make impact. And HSBC and other banks, are they're responding very, very aggressively with very kind of like targeted branded marketing you know that's supposed to appeal to a younger generation and we need to kind of combat that with um with our own um art and um, and creativity and marketing but my god how sickening is it when you're just watching the telly and then you see this really well shot advert and it's showing like some single mum 
uh, sort of being passionate about raising their kids, but also following like, you know, a new career or you see some family going through some turmoil, but then coming out of it and you're thinking, oh, what is this really emotive thing? And that then at the end, you see this fucking logo come up like HSBC, we care. We're definitely not the people who are creating all the bad things <laughs> that are going a on. Black horse running across the beach, <laughs> you know, connection with nature and the wildness in your life. Nope, yeah. we're locking you into fossil fuels. I know, I mean, and uh, I reckon let's end it there for this week. Uh, thanks to all those listeners who have got through that. Check out some of the the work that Tony and others are doing around alternative forms of money and alternative um, banks and building societies. Go to your credit union and open an account and divest from the, the the big banks let's get our money out of causing harm and into really exciting new projects yeah and also talk out a video Laura created about her ID coin it's quite entertaining and where can you find that Danny? you can find if you google Lara Luna Bartley you will come up with her website and uh, there's not many other Lara Luna Bartleys can't out be there. too many can yeah. there check out some of her work Cool, thanks. That's it for this week. See ya!